Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. One, two, three, four! People do feel very radically different about gender experience. I mean, that's just like the rules of feminism. That diversity is like the number one thing I think that has to be reckoned with. Agenda with Tanya Ali and Katie Winton. Good morning, you're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio, your Saturday morning fix of art, politics, news and trash. My name is Katie Winton. And I am Tanya Ali. Agenda on FBI Radio is broadcast on Gadigal land and I would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people as the original custodians of the land we broadcast on and pay my respects to their elders past and present. Um... I would also like to acknowledge the significance of Redfern as a place of strength, resistance, knowledge sharing and storytelling for many communities and would like to honour that history. So coming up on today's show, we'll be joined by Lane Pitcher and Anna Hush to talk about FemPower, which is a non-for-profit volunteer-run organisation that teaches workshops on gender, consent and gendered violence uh, in high schools across New South Wales and Victoria. We're also going to be talking to Gianna Hayes and Gayatri Naya about Irregular Fit, which is a night of creating and reclaiming space within the electronic music scene happening tonight at Tokyo Sing Song, presented by House of Ea Batonye in partnership with Music New South Wales. A regular fit will feature sets from Ea Batonye, Alexandra Longstaff, Jay Hasek, uh, Guru Gayatri, Sham Pillay, and projections and installations presented by BTW, which is Between Two Worlds. And on Thoughts That Count today, we're talking about online communities, uh, particularly Facebook groups and some of the positives and negatives involved in sharing sensitive or private information in a closed Facebook group. Yeah, I feel like Facebook groups are definitely on the up and up at the moment. They're one of the biggest and arguably most accessible ways of like online community building. And there are so many groups for so many different marginalised identities. I kind of feel like they promote... A really special solidarity between people who can often feel isolated, but at the same time they come with hierarchies and like cliques mm. and weird politics within them. And then I feel like at the same time there is space for people to feel even more isolated within them. Yeah, definitely. Well, I feel like there's still a really big um, call-out culture that can you can really like jump on the bandwagon of... Um, 100%. Yeah. Can be quite toxic. Yeah, which is good and bad, I guess. Um, and it, yeah, I guess it's definitely something that I have mixed feelings about. I'm still very much in this like Facebook is evil mentality. Um, and I get <laughs> frustrated when I spend too much time in a social media vortex. Um, but having said that, I'm part of a few really great closed Facebook groups where I can share things or ask personal like things that I wouldn't want my, you know conservative uh, cousins or people I went to high school with to see on my public Facebook wall. So, um, yeah, a few months ago, actually, we're going to be talking or we'll be hearing from one of the organisers of one of these groups um, called Flossy Crew, which is great. Um, But a few months ago, um, I was (laughs) having this huge argument with someone I was really close to and I was trying to justify something to them that was very personal to me. This is all super vague because I've gotten in trouble about talking about... (laughs) people on the radio before Um, and I went into one of these Facebook groups it's full of women trans and non-binary people and I asked for help and for like podcasts and books and resources to do with the thing that I was like fighting with this person about and everyone in this group gave me so many great resources and I made a reading list and I actually sent it to the person because I was like so exhausted with having to explain something that meant a lot to me and was really hard to talk about and I don't know it was such an amazing experience to be able to connect with people that I didn't even know but who helped me at such a time when I was like very distraught it was really nice I've never done that before. I've always been like a very sceptical sharer on 
on social media, but it was it was great. Yeah, sometimes in times of need, those kinds of groups just come through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but speaking of being distraught, <laughs> Here we Katie, go. <laughs> no. I know you must be pretty distraught after Madonna really <laughs> butchered her Aretha Franklin tribute this week at oh, the VMAs. It was really bad, wasn't it? I'm, <laughs> I'm devastated, but I'm not surprised considering her recent track record with social media and how out of touch she's becoming. You know what? She's of a different generation. Yeah. Um, I mean, she's 60. Yeah, exactly. Which shouldn't mean anything. Like, I don't want it to sound ageist. I just feel like she is doing some things lately on social media that are not particularly with the times. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So this time what actually happened was that Madonna was asked really last minute to do a tribute to Aretha Franklin at the VMAs and she basically used it as an opportunity to talk about one of her very first auditions where she hadn't prepared anything and blurted out Franklin's classic You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman. Uh, let's have a little bit of a listen to some of Madonna's speech now. You make me feel like a natural woman. Two French guys nodded at me. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, by Aretha Franklin? Again. Mm -hmm. They looked over at the pianist. He shook his head. I don't need sheet music, I said. I know every word. I know this song by heart. I will sing it a cappella. I could see that they did not take me seriously. And why should they? Some skinny-ass white girl is going to come up here and belt out a song by one of the greatest soul singers that ever lived. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I feel like Aretha Franklin is, like, not really important to the story. Oh, you no. Know, like it's kind of more about her... Um, yeah, she kind of, like, primarily talks about herself and then tacks on how influential Aretha Franklin is to her. Um, and she was wearing, the, like, this bananas outfit that she got on her 60th birthday trip to Morocco and she's basically, like, dripping with cultural appropriation in all of this tribal Moroccan jewellery and headdress. And I saw the image and was like, oh, Madonna, come on. Like, I love early Madonna, but I feel like, yeah, maybe she should stop. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's not true. I, I do love her. But to clarify, yeah, not because of her age, just because she keeps doing... A lot of kind of really offensive things. She does, yeah. Naturally, the internet lost it at Madonna. Uh, there was immediate backlash following her self-indulgent <laughs> speech. Um, and she took to Instagram on Wednesday to issue a Sorry I Upset You Apology, which read, Just to clarify, I was asked to present Video of the Year by MTV. And then they asked me to share any anecdotes I had in my career con connected to Aretha Franklin. I share a part of my journey and thanked Aretha for inspiring me along the way. I did not intend to do a tribute to her. That would be impossible in two minutes with all the noise and tinsel of an award show. I could never do her justice in this context or environment. Unfortunately, most people have short attention spans and are so quick to judge. I love Aretha. Respect. I love my dress. And I love love. And there is nothing anyone can say or do oh. that would change that. There's also a lot of exclamation yeah. marks in that statement. Yeah. Oh, I feel like, yeah, even if you have two minutes, I don't know, it's, it's tricky because I feel like, one, she shouldn't have been asked to do that. Like, I don't think that she was the right person. Um, yeah, but I don't know. I feel like even if you have two minutes, you could still shape it in a way that doesn't, like, use 1.8 of those minutes to talk about yourself. <laughs> um, I wonder, yeah, I don't know. I wonder what time frame she had to prepare because it seems like a pretty bad fit. 
I also love that she used her apology to spruik her dress. So, so odd. <laughs> definitely no excuse for the dress. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just got a text saying she always did this. Vogue was the beginning from Oni. Thanks, Oni. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I know. <laughs> so, Katie, does yeah. this mean we can't listen to Madonna uh, anymore? I need to get back to you on that. I don't know. Maybe Madonna can be my like guilty pleasure. Well, I feel like if I vetoed R. Kelly... But I guess that, I don't know. I don't know, Tanya. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're in a lot of inner turmoil at the moment. It's fine. I'll get back to you. Yeah. Um, Can we meet halfway and play a Madonna cover? For sure. (laughs) Um, This is R&B singer Vita featuring Ashanti covering one of my favourite Madonna songs. It's actually for the Fast and Furious soundtrack, this song. Yeah. And they like recreated the film clip and everything. They're in like the hallway doing the striptease. It's (laughs) it's very good. Heck yeah. This is Justify My Love.
Listening to Agenda on FBI Radio, and for thoughts that count today, we're talking about Facebook groups and the pros and sometimes cons of private online spaces. So, whether you're in a meme group or a local buy swap sell, uh, Facebook groups can be really useful tools for sharing with your community and discussing things that you wouldn't want to share uh, with your wider Facebook network. Yeah, there are a bunch of groups that have kind of recently blossomed for artists and creatives of color, and I'm sure that these exist across a bunch of um, different industries as well, not just creative industries. But I feel like, in a way, those creative and often location-based groups disrupt the systematic disadvantage certain identities face in the arts by banding together and sharing opportunities, articles, tips, and, like, providing support for each other. Yeah. Are you in a Facebook group um, or an online community group that you find really useful? We'd love to hear your experience. Uh, text us on 0409-945-945. The success of private political groups like Pantsuit Nation, a community of Hillary Clinton supporters that grew from a handful of users to 3.9 million members in a matter of months, clearly shows that many Facebook users prefer to hang out in groups of like-minded people. Libby Chamberlain started Pantsuit Nation before the 2016 election, and she now oversees a team of 30 moderators who wade through thousands of posts every week. Libby says, for a lot of people, this is a group that has a lot of people who identify as liberals within conservative spaces or people who might not want their Facebook friends to know their political leanings. We don't call it a safe space. It's a platform for like-minded progressives to share stories, resources and calls to action. Yeah, there are also Facebook groups for women, trans and non-binary people to share uh, personal experiences and give each other support. So it's interesting to see this like text me when you get home idea extended to networks of strangers. Um, There's like some sort of level of trust and vulnerability and intimacy that can only really come from knowing that what you post is private, which unfortunately isn't always the case. Yeah, so Mark Zuckerberg, who we all know is a strong defender of our personal (laughs) privacy, (laughs) announced in June last year that instead of trying to make the world more open and connected as it had in the past, Facebook would now aim to give people the power to build community and bring the world closer together, uh, in part by placing a greater emphasis on groups. However, it was only a couple of months ago that Facebook recently closed a privacy loophole that allowed third parties parties to discover the names of people in private closed Facebook groups. A Chrome extension that was made specifically for marketers to harvest this information was also shut down uh, after Facebook issued a cease and desist letter to the creators of the app earlier this year. That is so scary. Yeah. Terrifying. Especially if information you post in a private like group could jeopardize your safety or if it went public, you know, like if you're a sex worker or a survivor of abuse. I don't know. It, yeah. Of course, it's not just Facebook um, who can compromise privacy in groups. There's like a lot of danger of having autonomous spaces, um, which also extends to like 
just not knowing yeah. who is in those groups as well. Like, I think that's the other thing. It's like, yeah, Facebook can uh, use that information um, for third parties, but also I think there's been a few instances lately um, where there have been people that have infiltrated certain said uh, autonomous spaces and like screenshotted things and shared them. I'm like talking very specifically yeah, about yeah. one thing, but I don't know if I want to go into it <laughs> yeah. in great detail. But it it has, yeah, there's been a lot of um, upheaval lately of those like said safe spaces that turn out to be um, trolled by mm. people who are like leaking that information, which is so uncool. It's like... You can't, yeah. It absolutely just, you know, bypasses any sense of trust that these yeah. groups kind of are based on. Yeah. Like, um, also to like screenshot something that is said in that group and then show it to the people that are not actually allowed into that space is like... It's really oh, messed it's up. Oh, it's so awful. Absolutely. <laughs> so you're in a group called Flossy. Flossy, yeah. Um, we're going to hear from the uh, founder. The founder, yeah. Awesome. This is Melissa Roberts. Warumi FBI listeners, my name's Mel Roberts and I'm a proud Derek woman. I've started the online Facebook group called Flossy Crew, which is an inclusive, empowering and liberating space for women. The platform really prioritizes First Nations women and black women and encompasses female identified and non-binary peoples. I started Flossy just out of seeing a real disconnect between women and, you know, seeing society project a lot of bullshit and expectations on women and a lot of slut-shaming attitudes and internalised misogyny. And I think that we face a lot of pressure and barriers from society and those barriers and those intersections are strongest and more complex for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women and women of colour and a lot of other minority groups so if I could create a space that was about strength and recognizing resilience and being liberated and having a voice then that's what Flossy is about and that's deadly. I think the ethics in Flossy are deadly because black women are staunch and we have our voices heard the loudest in that group and I think that's important to understand the power dynamics and the privileges that play out between black women and white women in society and I think that Flossy gives a space for women to understand that and break it down in a way that's also holding people accountable. The rules in Flossy are pretty straightforward, like no racism, no homophobia, no xenophobia, like just have understanding that people come from different worldviews and different socioeconomic communities and backgrounds. There's definitely been a lot of heated discussion and fiery arguments in the group and I think that that's only natural when you get a lot of people together from different communities and different backgrounds and especially when you're talking about you know issues such as politics as well. So I think that um, there needs to be barriers in place to have healthy debate but I also think that it can get really toxic very quickly. I think the autonomous online communities are so important because we've had our voices suppressed for a long fucking time. And I think that there are a lot of disadvantaged and marginalized women who don't get the same opportunities that a lot of other women have and don't get their voices heard in society. You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio and for Thoughts That Count today, we're talking about experiences with Facebook groups. We'd love to know if you've connected with a meaningful community online. So please text us on 0409 945 945. So good to hear from Mel Roberts um, about Flossie. Also, I just feel like uh, being the administrator or moderator of one of those groups is like such a full-time job, you know, like 
it's Absolutely. huge, huge um, congrats to Mel and all the other administrators of um, autonomous groups because there's so much filtering that goes on and so much, not filtering, but like that it's just like a lot of work. Yeah, <laughs> just making sure yeah. that everything runs smoothly. Yeah. And as we just heard Mel speak about, like, you know, moderating those debates that will inevitably get fiery mm. is is a task. Yeah. Um, so Aya Tonye Abracasa debuted her podcast, Don't At Me, on FBI Radio earlier this week. Um, she spoke to community organiser and anti-racism activist Carrie Hu about the importance of online spaces and what it means to be a digital activist, which I thought was like a really good tie-in because I listened to that and it was really good. And Carrie also started an autonomous Facebook group and had some interesting thoughts on how she uses social media and the internet for change. So if you missed Don't At Me, you can listen back via the FBI Radio website. Um, Just head to fbiradio.com, click on programs and then click on Don't At Me. And you can also hear it live on air on Thursdays from 12pm. So tune in next week. Uh, Stick around because up next on Agenda, we are going to be joined by Lane Pitcher and Anna Hush to talk about workshops that they run with FemPower, teaching high school students about intersectional feminism gendered violence and consent right now though let's take a listen to this fun pop song about the sugar high that is infatuation so relevant Um, it is it's always relevant truly this one is by Rina Sawayama um, and is all about new queer love blossoming it's been hailed as a pansexual anthem that is both relatable and personal Uh, let's take a listen Baby, I'm a 
Heads up, this one has a language warning. Hundred Bad by Tommy Genesis. Uh, you're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. Uh, I don't know about you, Tanya, but I definitely didn't learn about gendered violence and consent and intersectional feminism no. in high school. Same. Um, <laughs> which is why it's really exciting that we're joined now by Lane Pitcher and Anna Hush, uh, who are two members of FemPower, which is a program of feminist high school workshops run by university students and young feminists. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. We're so excited. Um, I'm wondering if you can start by talking about the purpose of FemPower Workshops. So I guess the purpose of FemPower Workshops is exactly what you said it was. It's to educate young people about these issues that we really felt like we missed out on in high school. I think potentially or especially because of the political climate right now, it's so important for young people to have ideas about consent and, you know, 
about their place in the world and I think young people are really confused and we present this like great opportunity and I guess have a privilege being young people ourselves that when we do go into high schools I think they have a level of trust with us that they might be able to discuss these things with us not in the ways that they would be able to talk to their normal teachers about. Yeah, totally. And I think also, um, like, we know that the root cause of gendered violence is gender inequality more broadly. So we're trying to sort of tackle that, um, yeah, at, at the root by sort of teaching young people about gender um, and about gendered, yeah, gender inequality more broadly and teaching them how they can sort of intervene in everyday scenarios where they see, um, yeah, sexism occurring. How did the workshops begin? So both Anna and I were part of the University of Women's, uh, sorry, University of Sydney Women's Collective in 2015. And at the very beginning of the year, we all sat around and wanted to create a project that could reach outside of the university. And we all agreed that high school was a place that we would love to take feminism. And we all kind of were like, it can't be that hard to like <laughs> teach feminism in, in high school, can it? Um, obviously, it was fairly hard, but three years <laughs> Later, we've gone to so many schools, taught over 5,000 students, mm-hmm. um, and we don't just work in New South Wales anymore. We have a fantastic director who works in Melbourne, and so it's really just taken off. Yeah. How do you formulate the content of the workshops? Um, so I guess, so we develop all the content ourselves. Um, so a lot of it, I guess, just comes from like sort of trial and error in our experience of running the workshops over a number of years, like seeing what works and what doesn't work. Um, Yeah, but we sort of look at similar programs, um, find like online resources, and we try and make it really sort of interactive. So we have things like videos, we have, um, you know, like exercises where they're sort of up and moving. Um, So it's not just like a, a lecture that we're giving, it's more sort of, yeah, inclusive and engaging. Yeah, I guess we pull a lot from advertising because I feel like that's probably the first place that you see kind of how products are marketed differently to different people. We pull a lot from social media and also give like hypothetical scenarios. So say you're in this situation and this happens or this person says this thing, how could you respond to that in a way that is respectful of everyone? That's so awesome. It sounds, yeah, just, yeah, I wish that I had something like that when I was at high school. Um, I'm interested to know how you kind of determine which schools you go to. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, basically any school that will take us. So we started off just doing um, just doing public schools. And then we started off just doing workshops with like with girls. So I think North Sydney Girls was one of the first ones mm-hmm. we went to. And that was just amazing. Oh, like, my God. I remember I was talking to this small group about violence against women. And one of, the, one of them goes, well, what's the root cause? And I was like, oh, it's really hard and complex. And then one of them looks at me and she's like, duh, it's toxic masculinity. And I was like, yep. <laughs> It was so great. We just ate pizza and made like posters about how great feminism is. Um, But then we started going to co-ed schools and Mm. we realised that the the boys in those classes were like already had, you know, such bad sort of like Mm. attitudes around gender. Um, Like they were so dismissive. There was so much backlash. And we realised that we really needed to be targeting, um, yeah, boys schools and particularly like elite private boys schools where some of the most sort of misogynistic attitudes are, um, are fostered. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting to see how those attitudes have changed from what we expected. So for example, I think after Rosie Batty became Australian of the Year, there's this change in terms of toxic masculinity, which is now more about being protective of women and being a real man is like, you know, standing up for women. And that can kind of go in a strange direction, too. So kind of discussing those ideas and how all things can be good and harmful in certain ways. Yeah, Yeah, that was actually um, my next question to you. And I don't know if there's any more to elaborate on, but I feel like we're really entering into a new generation of awareness with young people around things like gender identity and intersectional feminism. But maybe I've just been around like very knowledgeable kids in the inner West. Mm. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But like, yeah, I'm interested to know like what the response more broadly has been and what's, yeah, what's that kind of 
take-up been like from high school students to the workshops? It's honestly so varied and you really just don't know what um, kind of knowledge or understanding kids will have until you are in the classroom. And like Anna said, when we went to North Sydney Girls, I remember one, one of the girls was like, you know, I think Bell Hooks said it best when she said, and I was like, you are the greatest. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, okay. So I think if they're kind of in that scene and they're in that circle, especially Tumblr, I think has really reached a lot of um, girls especially. But, you know, then we've been to other schools um, and it has definitely been the opposite scenario. And there was one time I kind of got stuck in this like hyper mask group of boys. One one of their nicknames was the Predator. Oh, and that, was, boy. that was a completely different situation. But I think we kind of um, really, whilst those workshops are harder to do, we know that that's probably where we're doing the most mm. work. Mm. Um, and I think really it's about just like planting a seed and giving people language about these things, you know, like that these things are systemic structures and patterns that are repeated. I think that knowledge is what is so valuable. Totally. And it teaches them to like identify these things Mm. that they already kind of know about, you know, like Mm. if they learn terms like, you know, double standard or like victim blaming and it's like they just recognise what it is because they've already got experience of it and it's this this thing that keeps happening and then finally they can put a name to it. Yeah, I think that's one of the most important, or that was one of the most important things for me even, you know, like moving to a big city from a really small town was like, oh, I've experienced all these things but now I actually have the terminology to like explain what it is and call it out to people. It's like such a big, important thing to have that language. It's so interesting too when we do... Uh, workshops where like boys and girls are in the same classroom I think there's such power in the boys just looking at the girls like nodding along the whole time you know because when the boys are very resistant and they look towards the girls and the girls like oh yeah that's (laughs) happened to me I think that's such power because these things just aren't discussed in the curriculum they're not there Absolutely. So you are currently looking for volunteers to get involved. Um, who, Who are you looking for to become a volunteer? So basically anyone can volunteer, um, all genders, all ages. Um, the only thing is that you need to be able to, most of our workshops are in school time, so between nine and three on weekdays. Um, and I think for that reason, we have a lot of uni students, which kind of works out well because they connect really well with, with the high school students. Um, and then you also need to have a working with children check, which you can get online for free and to come along to one of our training sessions. And what's the level of commitment like for people who are maybe thinking about becoming a volunteer? So the level of commitment is really up to you. Um, it's just like Anna said, you have to attend a training workshop, which we have one coming up. Um, and then after that, it's really any workshop that you can come along to. Some are an hour, another workshop could be a whole day. Um, one could be in regional New South Wales, one could be around the corner from you. So it's really up to you. Yeah, so we just like send out opportunities to our volunteers and they just sign up sort of when they can, as mm. they can. Awesome. So you are holding a volunteer training day on Sunday, the 2nd of September. Um, if people, do they need to sign up um, or... Yeah. How do yeah, people so get involved? If you would love to come, it's yeah. going to be a great day talking about feminism um, and just the content that we will present in our workshops. If you'd like to come, you should email hello at fempowerworkshops.com. Com. Com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is right. We can pop a link up on our agenda show page as well. Yeah. Yes. So just email us through that you'd like to attend um, and whatever your dietary requirements are, and we will make sure there's some yummy food for you. But the day will run from 10 to 4.30 and then we'll go for some drinks after. Yep, and it's at Sydney Uni. Amazing. Lynn, Anna, thank you so much for coming on to Agenda today uh, to talk about Fem Power. Uh, 
As Katie mentioned, we will pop a link up on our Agenda Show page with some more info about FemPowers High School Workshops, Teaching Intersectional Feminism and Consent, and we'll pop a link where you can sign up to become a volunteer. Uh, After this track, we're going to be chatting to Gianna Hayes and Gayathri about um, a night of creating and reclaiming space within the electronic music scene. To take you there, this is the latest one from Empress Of. It's called When I'm With Him. by Music New South Wales to showcase women in electronic music.
Holiday Sidewinder with Leo and you're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. Tonight at Tokyo Sing Song in Newtown in partnership with Music New South Wales, House of Aibatonye is presenting Irregular Fit, which Aibatonye describes as a night of creating and reclaiming space within the electronic music scene, um, a showcase of the future of Australian clubbing scene and a good time, um, which is <laughs> such a good description. Um, we're joined now by Gayatri uh, now, who DJs as... Guru Gayatri um, and Diana Hayes from Between Two Worlds to hear more about tonight's event. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. (laughs) 
So Irregular Fit follows on from Music New South Wales Women in Electronic Music Masterclasses earlier this year and features some of the students from Ava Tanya's DJing class. Gayatri, you were one of those students. Can you describe your experience with the masterclass? Yeah, sure. Um, it was awesome. <laughs> it was super cool to be with other women uh, who are interested in DJing and electronic music and to just get more skills and understanding about how to be a better DJ, but also just to network and meet amazing people. Yeah. Had you DJed before you took part in the masterclass? <laughs> I have. I'm, I wouldn't call myself an expert DJ by any means. I'm definitely a baby DJ, um, but I think uh, it was great to get more skills and yeah, I'm trying to build those skills and tonight will be an amazing way to practice. <laughs> Can you both tell us a little bit about why it's important to you personally to have events like a regular fit, you know, taking space for for women and communities of colour? Yeah, I mean, I just think um, I think it's amazing seeing all these collectives and women of colour and people of colour coming together and supporting one another. And having these spaces is so important, I think. I believe like it's crucial for us to have a space that we feel safe and like we can actually exchange like stories and ideas about, you know, our oppression or just about our lives in general and actually have some kind of um, understanding about each other that we don't even have to express almost like it's just being in each other's presence is just so beautiful and liberating so powerful powerful, 100% and I think it's beautiful to continue to have these spaces so then we can enlighten others and exchange our stories with everyone you know Um, so it's awesome Tiana can you tell us a little bit about what Between Two Worlds is and the concept behind it Yeah, so um, BTW Between Two Worlds is a platform and like collective for people of color and multidimensional and multicultural creatives in Sydney and beyond. Um, So I guess the whole idea is just create a space where we can share these stories, exchange ideas through music, art, um, storytelling, and just having fun, you know, Um, and really kind of creating a space for understanding and respect, which is so important. In May this year, the first BTW exhibition was held at Down Under Space in Chippendale, um, and it explored themes, uh, as you were saying, of you know combined cultural identities in Australia alongside an after party with a lineup of local uh, musicians of colour and DJs, including Aya Batonier, yes. Carolina Gasolina. Uh, is there another event in the works? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we're actually planning to do it every two months because we had such a great response, and um, I think it's important to keep it up and do and explore in different ways you know I'd love to do workshops and talks and collaborate with various um, um, people of color in Sydney and the creative world so I really want to expand it to different realms for sure so we have one coming up September 26th (laughs) I just leaked it (laughs) exclusive content So what's in store for tonight's collaboration? So we're actually going to be showcasing some photography work from Yaw, who's a beautiful photographer based in Sydney. And he explores um, cultural identity and, um, I guess, putting Pac in the forefront. So he's got this beautiful ph- photography series about men in the woods. And it's, oh, it's so beautiful. I just can't wait for you to see it. Um, we also have... 
Stephanie, who's a beautiful um, illustrator. So she does these amazing portraits, hand-drawn portraits. Um, so she's going to be showcasing work for the first time here, um, part of BTW. So, yeah, we've got a few artists um, to kind of coincide with, like, the whole music and, yeah, work in contrast with that. So it's exciting. And who else is performing on the night? So... We have, obviously, Abitanye, which is going to be amazing. <laughs> uh, Sham Pillay is dropping her new single, which is super exciting. Uh, Jay Hasik is playing, and also... Jassik. Al- oh, Jassik, sorry. sorry. <laughs> 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Jassik, Jassik. It's right, Jassik. <laughs> he was so funny last night, he was like, do you say Rihanna? And I was like, oh, Jassik. yeah, true. <laughs> Shout out. I'm into Rihanna though. Yeah. <laughs> and Alexa Longstaff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's super exciting. So cool. Yeah. It's going to be so great, and it's happening tonight at Tokyo Sing Song. Uh, if you are Indigenous, a person of colour, female-identifying, non-binary, LGBTQIA+, or have a disability and have ever felt um, that you've wanted to learn how to DJ from some of Sydney's best and play a set at a regular fit, you can head to our program page at fbiradio.com forward slash programs to find out how to get in touch with Ava Tanye. And Gayathri, can you um, vouch for Ava Tanye's <laughs> DJ teaching skills? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trick question. <laughs> yeah, she's the best. I'm so into this teaching people to DJ. It's, yeah, I know. It's the best. It's we so are cool. like baby. I, I feel like if you're a baby DJ, we're like, oh, we're like, we're like oh, eggs. in the womb. <laughs> <laughs> We've had like one lesson and are obsessed with it now. It's so much fun counting the VPN. Is yeah, the most it's fun ever. Also, yeah. just like, like I'm not even actually. No, no, yeah, like, <laughs> you know, say so just like playing a song and watching people dance and like changing it so smoothly yeah, that people don't even yes. notice that the songs change and they're still dancing. Right, like the smooth transition. Nice, yeah, because yeah. we're so smooth. <laughs> I can't wait to dance tonight. I'll be on the dance floor the whole night. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. So definitely head along to Tokyo Sing Song tonight. It's totally free as well, which is amazing. And Gayathri and Gianna, thank you so much for coming in on Agenda today. That's all we've got time for. But if you're keen to head along to a regular fit tonight, it kicks off at 10 p.m. at Tokyo Sing Song in Newtown. Sham Pillay will also be, yeah, as you said, performing her debut track, Two Angels. So let's take a listen to it now. Uh, stick around for Weekend Lunch up next. Mm-hmm.